Um, so today, I want to talk about the, what, I, what I call the pinnacle of prayer. And if I could personalize the message today, I'll call this the prayer that I'm trying to pray. This is the one I'm trying to pray. And it's two words. And the words are, thank you. Let's practice. One, two, three. Thank you. See, to me, the pinnacle of prayer, all the things that we've talked about, uh, really culminate with this one simple prayer. Thank you. And we've talked about how God isn't in a building. Um, the whole idea of the curtain being torn and all access. Um, when, the, when the curtain was torn when Jesus died, it wasn't to let us in. It wasn't to let God out. It was to expose the fact that he is never there. God doesn't live in buildings. And this was talked to us by the prophet Isaiah. This was talked about when Stephen gave his speech right before he was stoned, by the way. Paul confirmed this. Jesus talked about this when he was talking with the woman at the well, where he said, it's not this mountain or that mountain, your religion or your denomination. It, God is spirit. So God can't be contained anywhere. And we're expanding our understanding. And we're, what we're learning is that as time goes on, we're learning and we're growing in our understanding that God isn't contained in some certain building. And so as we've progressed, we've learned a lot more. Our, we, we could say it this way, our understanding has grown tremendously. You remember way back in the Old Testament, if you've ever read the story of Abraham bargaining with God so he wouldn't destroy a city? And God was going to destroy it, and it's almost like they're at an auction block. And he goes, well, how about if there was only, you know, would you destroy it for this many people? And, and Abraham says, well, what if there were a hundred, you know, righteous people? And then, and then he, they, they bargain back and forth. And this is such a difficult picture of God. Thankfully, it's what we call Old Testament, right? This is the old idea. These are old understandings that you bargain with God and God's angry and ready to destroy. And in comes Jesus and brings us a new understanding. Now you have to understand this. Jesus absolutely and definitely, when he read his scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, would pick and choose. And he always chose the redemptive, the loving, the fatherly, and he introduced new ideas to us about the father heart of God, the parent heart of God, that God is loving towards us, that he wants to take care of us. And we're so grateful that Jesus taught us this. When he taught us a prayer, he said, our father. Now these images of God had slight, I will call them slight sprinkles in the Old Testament, but hardly referenced at all. And Jesus wants to move, move the understanding from a God who's on a throne, who's vengeful, who's always looking for faults, to a God to a, uh, where, where he is the throne, where his lap is the place that you sit. And he advances it forward. And then we start to learn different things about prayer. That prayer is not just so that we can talk God into getting something that we want. 
It's the basic idea, but it's sort of the genie prayer. You know, if you rub the thing just right and say just the right words, that all of a sudden you can command God. And I've heard it. I've heard it taught that you can command God to give you this or to give you that because you've said the right things or done the right things. This, of course, is a ridiculous idea. So we don't command God. God, Prayer is not for us to get the stuff that we want. But perhaps prayer is to change us more than it is to change God. Think about this. If you could, by your prayers, change God, get him to do what you wanted, whenever you wanted to, then you would be God, right? And not the other way around. God can't be manipulated, won't be. But prayer, perhaps, does something in us And so what I want to call the pinnacle of prayer is when we get to the place where we breathe this prayer constantly, thank you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, ready? Be joyful always, pray continually, this is what we've been talking about, and give thanks in what? All circumstances... For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? So be joyful always, right? Pray continually. This is the other thing we talked about. Prayer can't be restricted to a certain word or a certain formula or a certain attitude, but prayer has to be a part of our everyday life as we breathe, we pray. And there, you get this idea that there's happiness, there's joy, and there's thanksgiving, Now, why did I call this the prayer that I'm trying to pray or the prayer that I'm learning to pray? Because the verse that we just put on the screen says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, who's doing that prayer? Most of us, not so much. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, Here, I want you to take yourself through a little mental quiz. What does it take? What level of service or gift or goodness or promotion or compliment does it take for you to elicit thanks from you? Think about it. What level of service? What level of promotion or interaction or email? or What, what does it take to get a thank you from you? And wouldn't it be true of all of us, that the more we have, eventually the harder it is to get the thank you? You ever been at a restaurant with somebody who's rude to the waiter or the waitress, and you just want to crawl under, anybody? Like you just wanted to crawl under the table? And, and you, you know, if you, if you, depending on how well you know them, the person that you're eating with who's treating the people rudely, you, you, you may say something or you may cringe, or you, I, I don't know, or you're just sort of the prophet type, maybe you just throw your fork at them, but you, you at some point, you're just like, can't you just be a little g- grateful? And who's ever gotten this response? Well, I'm paying them. They're supposed, anybody? Now, now you want to get up and leave. The response is, well, this is what I'm paying, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I shouldn't be. And so, depending, this is what I want you to think about. What does it take? What level 
How big does the gift, how beautiful does the weather have to be, right? How amazing do your coworkers have to treat you? How, in other words, what does it take to actually elicit thanks from you? I was doing some research, and I, I couldn't verify this, but I, I, I did some research, and I found out, you know, they used to give, in, in, the, in the Old Testament era, they would come and bring a Thanksgiving offering. And it was something that they brought to God in thanks. So, you know, like, if you were brought up as a young Jewish man, you always brought thanks when you brought in your crops, and you brought some thanks as a, as a portion, you know, the first portion you would bring in Thanksgiving. But there were other things that you were required to give thanks for. And they had four listed. One, if you made a journey across an ocean or the sea. All right? So you have to realize in those days, sea traveling was very dangerous. And if someone went across the ocean, when they got there, uh, like a person kissing the ground off of an airplane, right? They said, thank God I made it. Thank God I'm alive. And they would, they would be required to give a thanks offering. Second thing is if you traveled across a desert. Right? So if you made the, the, the difficult journey all the way across the desert, you, you, when, you, when you reached your destination, you were obligated to give a thanks offering. The third was if you went through illness that was close to death. And the fourth was if you were a prisoner and then you got set free or you were released. And all these kind of make sense because they're the kind of things where your life is sort of in the balance. Your life is on the line. By the way, who here has ever been through something like that? Yeah. Right. And maybe it wasn't physically entirely online, but you went through something, and when you got through it, you said, I am so grateful. to. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I made it through this. This was, a, this was an event that could have put me completely under. And you're grateful. See, the question is, not can we do thanksgiving out of obligation if we are mandated or required. And the question is not, will I do it if the circumstances are extreme enough? But as I mature in life, can I learn? Ready? Can I learn? One, two, three. Can I learn? Learn to be thankful in every circumstance. Ready? Not for every circumstance. Not for in. A lot of bad things that happen in life. There's a lot of hurtful things. There's a lot of pain. There's all kinds of stuff. And it doesn't always... You don't have to be thankful for that. But you can be thankful in it. Say, Chris, I think you're giving a bad message here. I'm not... You're breaking up. You're breaking up. I'm not hearing you. Or Paul didn't know what he was talking about. But I, I actually think he did. It was the same Paul who said, I learned, I learned the secret to be happy in any and every, what, situation. I learned it. It was something that I could learn. So I, first of all, I got to get your eyeball since to say, if you're on board to learn, that is to say, I'm willing to, to, to accept the possibility that I could get there. Put your hand up. Some of you are not. Okay, I appreciate you uh, grumpy pants over there. I'm not. I'm not going to ever get there. I don't want to get there. I choose grumpy. 
Think about this. Can you learn it? So I, I thought I would look for an extreme example. And I pulled out uh, Victor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, right? Who went to a concentration camp and wrote about it. And he talked about the three stages. He said there's the stage of when you first arrive, the shock of when you first arrive. And then there was the stage of where being in a concentration camp was normal. And then there was the stage of the, the, the release and the, all the, the things that went along with that. Each one was an unbelievable mental challenge. And do yourself a favor and read his book, but if I could just give you a nugget. This is what he said. I'll paraphrase a little bit, but losing everything enabled us to be grateful for the tiniest things. Say it again. Losing everything or extreme deprivation enabled us to be grateful for the smallest things. It's sort of like we lose the ability to be grateful. Any parent here ever frustrated with your children's lack of thanks? Any parent, just a little just a twinge frustrated at their lack of gratitude. If they're not here, you can raise it. Go ahead. All right? And you're thinking, hey, now let's... And, and right? Once they have it, they're already on to the next thing that they want. Which is why I think in Psalm 103, it says... Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Forget not. One, two, three. Forget not. Why? Because we forget, yeah. We forget always. We constantly forget his benefits. How good he's been. So, so Victor Frankl was saying, he said this extreme deprivation allowed us to be unbelievably grateful for the smallest thing. Someone sharing some watered-down soup. Now, let's just be honest. I'm very ungrateful when I don't get my kind of coffee. I got time for you. I got time to reel you in all morning. I, get, I, I, I can be ungrateful when I don't get the kind of coffee that I want at the temperature that I want it. Is anybody with me? It's just because I have it, because I can go to, down the street and get it somewhere else and get it the way I want and get it faster. And, and so the abundance, ready? Abundance has, the, has the, the temptation to lure you into ingratitude. And so it takes a learned practice, a learned practice to be grateful so you can get to the point in your life where you can be grateful in all circumstances. I mean, you literally have to practice this. Just like you would have to practice anything, practice an athletic event or practice a sport or practice anything that you would practice in life, you have to practice gratitude. Now, think about this. I, don't th I, I think in the scriptures when they, when, they, when they forced Thanksgiving offerings, I think this is like, this is like training wheels. 
this is so important you try to get this because one, it'll help you understand the scriptures. It'll help you understand how we grow and, and we mature. You are forced. You are forced. You got this. You are forced to bring a thanks offering. Just like my mom forced me to say what? Thank you. Forced me. Is anybody here, your parents forced you to say, this is not an option. I'm going to talk about it. I don't even care how sincere it is. Are you with me? I mean, you hope to God it's sincere. They can tell sometimes it isn't. But at the end of the day, this is important. At the end of the day, you're going to say it. Are you with me? Does anyone do this? You say, well, that's wrong. You should just let it be from the heart. Well, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe the forcing and the discipline provides the training wheels so that later in life, it'll actually be what? A part of you. Sometimes what, what we've missed, and by the way, this is what Paul taught us in Galatians. Paul taught us that the, the scriptures, the laws and the rules and all that, if they were training wheels, they were to get us going. Now, when you turn 18, you can take them off. If you want. Are you with me? There's some stuff you leave behind, some stuff you throw away that's a part of your upbringing, that was a part of their upbringing, that's a part of old school. But guess what? It gets you on a path. It gets you in a good direction. And if you, if you discipline, the discipline to say, thank you, please, thank you, thank you, all of a sudden, somewhere down the line, it starts to move from here and external to here. These little disciplines can do wonders for you. Now, I need to say something that I think needs to be said. Um, and I can be completely wrong about this. But I've heard a few sermons, and I, I, I did, they don't resonate. If they resonate with you, then good. But here's a lot. I, I heard too many sermons, I think, where it was like we needed to thank God somehow because God needed to hear it. Mm. Eh. Doesn't that make God kind of lame like us? You know what I mean? Like, you know how some of you need to hear it? Like, you know, like... So God is there, and... And if we don't, we're really going to disappoint Him, and how disappointed He's going to be. Do you think God is that needy? Or could we say, this isn't really about that. This is really important. Giving thanks is sure, it's in the Scriptures. Is it there? Is it there because God is just, he needs it? Or is it there? Because we need it. Because you're a better person when you're a grateful person. You're a better husband when you're a grateful husband. You're a better wife. You're a better mom. You're a better neighbor. You're a better employee. You're a better employer when you're a grateful one. Being grateful, I mean, if that's your motivation, that somehow, okay, do it. I don't, but what if the real thing is that we need to be grateful because that's the pinnacle of life? If you've been following the whole series on prayer, what we talked about was where it really comes, where it really culminates, if I could say this, where the whole story culminates is Jesus in the garden 
and he's praying, and he does the two, the two types of prayer. The, the training wheels prayer, the prayer that we all pray, the prayer that we learn to pray, which is, God, I need this. God, get me out of this. God, help me through. Anybody? We've all done them. Nothing wrong with them. They're human prayers. Father, if you're willing, let this suffering pass from me. That's the prayer that is, God, help me get A's. God, help me not flunk. God, help my kids, you know, help my sister who's in trouble, get me a better job. The, all those prayers, God, get me away from suffering. They're natural, they're human, they're, they're fine prayers. But then he says, nevertheless, not what? My will, but yours. The prayer moves to the prayer of acceptance. The prayer of acceptance. If you don't pray this prayer, you'll never be thankful. You're not, I mean, truly thankful. You'll thank your boss when you get a raise. You know what I mean? You'll thank God when it's nice weather at your daughter's wedding. Yay! Right? You'll thank, you know, you, that's okay. That's fine. That's all good. But I mean, de- like, like, like grateful in your DNA where it just oozes out of you where it's not always dependent on the weather and how everyone treated you, but it's, it's in you. Why? Because acceptance, it starts there. Not my, it's not my plan. It's not my, it's not my show. Not my will, but I accept. I accept. I accept. I accept. And some of you are going years and years and years of not accepting. Now, you say, Chris, but what about we're supposed to strive for more? I know that's the whole tension, isn't it? Isn't that the whole thing? Striving for more and hoping for better and pray, but accepting along the way. Acceptance is down deep. And some people never get there. Listen, they never get there. They fight and fight it and fight it and fight it. And here's the thing, ready, that will kill gratitude in your life. Like, kill it. Ready? You compare your life to somebody else's life. You're toast. Hmm? Think about it. You compare your life to somebody else. Now, what sense does this make? But this is like, this is, I mean, I mean, I mean, this is like America's great pastime. So we, we look at this person's life, we look what they have, we look who they married, we look at their kids, we look at the, the car that they drive, we look at how they, whatever they do, and we want to be, well, why can't I have that? Why didn't I get that? Here's the one thing I should tell you. By the way, like, being a pastor, I know most of those people, and you really don't want that. <laughs> Can I just do you a favor, right? <laughs> but here's the, it's, I mean, I'm laughing, we're laughing, I mean, it's, can I say it's true? And can I just say that if you, if you're going to be a grateful person, you know, it's joy, be, pray always and be joyful and, and thank, thank, it's all connected, if you're ever going to be that person, you cannot, you cannot fall into this trap of comparing yourself to somebody else. Anybody ever 
Go through this phase where you want, just so badly want to be somebody else. Anybody? Hmm? Anybody ever, like, watch, watch like a group like the Katinas and you go home with like a hairbrush and you're trying to get it all done and you think, I want to be that, but you're not. You know, I mean, we all, there's like things that we do. I, th- this, if you want to, if you want to be miserable, just stay on that path. But look, look, there's one you. It's you. You got to be grateful. Just as easily you could compare yourself to Viktor Frankl in a concentration camp. But what we do is we compare what, what, what we don't have, what, what, we, what these guys got. Well, what, and it, it's, a, it's a recipe to be, to be, how else do you say it? It's a recipe to be miserable for your whole life. Think about this. Um, we were trying to decide what to do for our gift away this year, for Christmas. And um, we've done, as you, if you've been around Orchard Grove for long, you know, we've done all kinds of things. And we've given bikes to kids in the whole community. Uh, we've given coats. And, we, and just, you name it, we've done it. And so um, a team came together. They were looking at different opportunities. And... Um, and we started, we started thinking about what are the simplest things? You know? And we, we came across an organization that helps people who are homeless and gone through difficult times and sometimes in extreme poverty through difficult situations. And they work with these people. They vet them, right, to, to help them go from from this state to self-sufficiency, and um, it's all the kind of stuff that you, you, you love to see. And so we went to them and said, well, what could we do? This is an organization in Pontiac. What could we do to help you? What could we do to help you? And here's what they said. They said, well, and, and I know this from doing church work and inner city work and all kinds of missions work for, over the years. They go, well, of course... Everybody gives at Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Come on, it's funny. Can you imagine yourself running one of these organizations and you have 8 million people that want to give you a gift on Christmas? And you're running this organization in July and it's crickets? All right, all right, hang tough. I'm not, okay, hang tough. So I said, that, oh, that's what you're growing. We love a challenge. Huh? Do we love a challenge or what? We, I mean, we love one. All right, good, good, good. So we're going to give throughout the year. Yes, all right. I said, but I still, they're still going to be moody at Christmas, in a good moody way, right? Like giving moody at Christmas. I said, they'll still be moody. I said, no problem. I said, what, what, is, what is it that you need most? Are you ready? Toilet paper. No. Before you laugh, before you say anything, you probably haven't needed toilet paper in a long time. Your things and worries and concerns are eight, 88 steps past toilet paper. Am I, am I with you? The, these are, and, and here's the thing that this organization said. They, people want to give all these other things. They want to give coats and this and that. Because this is actually what we need. We give 500 families a month one roll of toilet paper per family. One roll per family. It's a great organization. It's been thoroughly vetted. We had teams, several people on our team look at it. Uh, so... I said, well, then our church 
is going to collect it at Christmas, but we're going to give it to you throughout the year. We have enough room. We're going to store it for you if you need us to store it for you. And we're going to bring it over there throughout the year, right? And our goal, right, we want to give enough toilet paper for an entire year to the lighthouse in Pontiac for Christmas. Is anybody with me here today? All right. So you, you just start stacking it up, all right? Just bring it wrapped. That's the only thing, all right? Bring it wrapped, right? And, uh, and, and just, just start bringing it, pile it in the atrium. If someone doesn't know where to put it, just put it on the floor, all right? We'll just keep piling it up. We're, I'm going to make Christmas trees out of them. Huh? We're redecorating this year. Are you with me? We're redecorating. We're going to make Christmas trees. Yeah. We're, going, uh, we're going back to simple. And I want you to see it. Look. I want you to see it. I want you to see Christmas trees made out of toilet paper, and I want it to affect you. And maybe it'll trigger something in our DNA that we can say, I'm going to be grateful for the smallest things in my life. The smallest things. I started this talk by saying, what is it that triggers gratitude in you. Maybe the more mature we are, the less it takes. Just waking up. Hmm. Just a friend smile. Just some snowflakes falling. You know, the thing is, you can only really, look at this, you can only really savor one experience at a time. I want you to think about this. Some guy could have 17 cars, but he can only drive one. You can only be in one place. You can only savor one moment. You can only enjoy one sunset. You can only have one conversation. Maybe maturity is the ability to be grateful. No matter what. I don't think that scripture from First Thessalonians is some command to hang over your head that you're not. Be- I think it's something to aspire to, to me. I think that's a level of life that I'm trying to learn to live at. And how many are like me, like you go, well, that was a few steps back. Just me after that whole talk? Well, that was, I'm not even talking to you guys this morning. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm ungrateful for this whole side right here. Anybody ever go backwards in the gratitude category? See, these people get it. I don't know what's wrong over here. Mm. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We're going to be thankful for the smallest thing. And I want you to listen to Luke talk about Jesus giving this experience. Now, to us, it's a church experience, it's a religious experience, it's, it's some, for some of you, it's a rote experience, but I want you to think about when the thing was initiated. It was Jesus knowing it was his last supper. It's the same thing that Victor Frankl, it, it, it like gives you, knowing what you're not going to have, gives you the ability to be grateful for what you do. I want you to listen carefully to me. So I read on in his book, and this is what he said. 
said, I was moved profoundly at how a dying inmate could walk around and bring comfort to others because he would give away his last piece of bread knowing it wasn't going to save him anyway, but it might help his brother. The extreme deprivation enabled us. Jesus is enabled here, and here's the words from Luke's Gospel. He took bread, and he gave thanks. Now you can think about that like, oh, he's so thankful that he got to eat. and He was always thankful for dinner. He was always given a dinner prayer. Or it was way more profound. He gave thanks. That he saw bread in a way he had never seen bread before. And he gave it away. He broke it. And that's what we're going to celebrate now. May God overwhelm our hearts infuse us with gratitude for bread, for toilet paper, for the simplest and the smallest, for a smile, for a hug, for a handshake.